and good morning. Have you ever owned something that was really, really cool, that you loved, that you totally thought was just the one, but then you discovered a newer version of it, a way better version of it, and you realized that there was just no comparison between the two? Do you ever think of anything like that? The first one was, was awesome, but the second one was way more awesome. Okay, there are probably lots of examples. Let me start with one. Okay, my first car really wasn't very much to look at. Okay, I had a, I had a clapped out old Ford Mondeo. It had a massive hole in the front bumper okay, that I tried to conceal with duct tape. Okay, and it, it was a bit of a state. Okay, I was so embarrassed about it that whenever I drove into a car park, I'd drive front first into a parking bay. So I didn't want anyone to walk past and see the bumper. Okay, it was a bit of a state. Thankfully, I hadn't yet met my wife, Annie, at that point. Or I don't think I'd have been driving her anywhere. She might not have even agreed to go out with me. But I should probably give her more, more credit than that. But the thing is, about this Mondeo, I loved it. It was my first car. You know, it was my first car. It had novelty value. And it could take me wherever I wanted to go, whenever I wanted to go. The Mondeo was great. The Mondeo had glory. Okay? I, it had a tape deck. I could bang out my old school garage tunes when I drove around with the windows down. South Londoner at heart. Anyway, a few years later, I stepped up in the world. I got a new car. I graduated to a Ford Focus. Who's got a Ford Focus? Now, I appreciate if I drove a Ferrari, then uh, the illustration would probably be a little bit stronger, but I'm a trainee pastor. Probably going to take a few years before I can afford one of them. Although, next week, when the offerings go around, if you wanted to contribute, I'd, I'd be open to that. Just don't tell the senior pastor. Okay? But, you know, once I drove the Focus, you know, I never wanted to drive the Mondeo again. The Focus was way better. It was way faster. It had a CD deck rather than a tape deck. It had electric windows that actually worked. And it didn't have a hole in the bumper. So I could start reversing into parking bays. It was great. Well, we're going to be looking uh, at our two Corinthians texts. This morning, we're going to be continuing in our series. But before we read the text, I'd like to do a bit of a recap and remind us where we are in the letter thinking about the themes of the letter, thinking about the background to which the Apostle Paul is writing. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, where a number of false teachers had emerged in the church. Okay, they were denying Paul's authority as an apostle. They wanted to undermine Paul's leadership, and they wanted to undermine his work as a gospel minister. So Paul writes this letter to defend his authority as, as an apostle, to affirm his work as a gospel minister and to refute these false teachers who were twisting the truth. So in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul refers to Christians as being the aroma of Christ. Kwaku preached that to us last week, didn't he? And they were tasked with spreading the knowledge of him everywhere. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul again comparing himself with uh, the, the Corinthian false teachers says that he doesn't need a letter of recommendation. You can see that in chapter 3, I'll read it in a moment. Because some of these false teachers, okay, they'd forged letters of recommendation to try and boost their credibility. And Paul's saying, I don't need one of those. I don't, I don't need one of those because, do you know what? The, the Corinthians, you guys I've ministered to, you are my recommendation. Your changed lives from the gospel show that my message has validity, shows that it has integrity. And, and so this is, yeah, this is where he says it in chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. I'll read it for you. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. 
you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now, folks, notice here that Paul is making a comparison between two things. Okay? He's comparing something written with ink on stone with the spirit of God written on human hearts. And that's really important. Okay? And Paul is going to expand on this, and he's going to unpack this in the text that we're going to look at today, which is chapter 3, verse 7 to 18. So if you do have a Bible, it would be great if you could turn to it. If not, then all the text will come up on the screen, and you can follow it there. Okay, let me take a deep breath. You'll realize why in a moment. It's quite a long passage. I'll read it for us. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Who is the Spirit? Well, folks, as you can imagine, I was really chuffed to get such an easy passage to preach on this morning. Let's take a deep breath. At my previous church, we had a wooden flooring, and every now and then during the sermon, you hear the sound of the Bible falling and hitting the floor, and you look around, and you see someone like, waking up from their sleep, really, really embarrassed. And I'm sure that really, really encouraged the preacher. So this is a dense text. I want to say that at the beginning. There's a lot in there. Hopefully, we're going to be excited as we go through it. Hopefully, I won't be hearing the sound of Bibles hitting the floor. Please stay with me. Okay, so first of all, in this passage, there's a reference to Moses and the Israelites and Moses' face looking glorious and Moses wearing a veil and weird things like that. And you might be thinking, what's all that about? Don't worry, that's fine. I had to read this passage a number of times to try and understand exactly what was going on here. Well, let me, let me remind you of the story of Moses. Some of you may be familiar with Moses. Okay, this is the, the guy that Paul's referring to in this passage initially. God had used Moses to uh, free the Israelites uh, from Egypt and the slavery under the Pharaoh. He led them out. And then he gave them a specific set of laws for them to follow. He gave those laws to the people, and those laws were called the Ten Commandments. Okay? And God called Moses up the mountain to receive these Ten Commandments. And they were written on stone tablets. And uh, later on, Moses had an incredible encounter with God. Okay, God, he went up the mountain, and God literally passed in front of him. Something like this had like never happened before. Okay? God's glory was revealed to Moses tangibly. He was in the presence of God. And it was such a, glory encou a glorious encounter, in fact, that, that Moses' face was dazzlingly radiant, reflecting the glory of God, having, having been in his presence. 
So when, when Moses went back down the mountain, his face was so bright with this glory that, that the Israelites were scared to look at him. They, literally, they couldn't look at him. So Moses put on the veil uh, to, to prevent them from being dazzled by the glory in his face. It's an amazing story. And if you haven't read it, <coughs> excuse me, I'd, I'd encourage you to read it. Exodus 32, 34. Just go back to it. If you've read it, read it again. Read the whole of Exodus. It's action-packed. It's great to read. Okay. So the, so the first point Paul is making in this passage we just read is that the law that God gave to Moses, which I'm going to refer to here as the ministry of Moses, this was glorious. Okay, so that's my first main point. The ministry of Moses was glorious. Now, the word ministry comes up a lot in this passage, and in, in this context, it, it refers to a covenant, which means an agreement or a promise. And five times in, in verses 7 to 11 in the first part of the passage, Paul is saying that this, this old covenant, this ministry of Moses, was glorious. Okay, he wants us to see that. But did you also notice when we were reading it that it refers to this ministry of Moses as, as bringing condemnation and death? And I was reading that thinking, well, how, how can it be glorious if it brings condemnation and death? That sounds a bit like a contradiction, doesn't it? Well, I think there are two main reasons why Paul describes the ministry of Moses as glorious. And the first one is it came with glory. Okay, it came with glory. God himself, the eternal almighty, majestic creator of the universe, met with a man, personally. Okay, what a moment that must have been. What a moment. If only I could have been there. These are, these are God's words to Moses, uh, God's words to Moses in Exodus. He says this, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And so God does that, and do you know how Moses responds? He bows down with his face to the ground, and worships. That's an appropriate response, isn't it? When the glory of the Lord passes before you. And I guess it's, it's very difficult for us to comprehend what that must have been like. But it must have been a glorious encounter. And of course, Moses' face is just literally radiant, dazzling with the glory of God after being in his awesome presence. I've had the privilege of, of going to Seychelles, which is the country of my birth, and a number of times. And the sun out there is, is pretty strong. Okay, it's very strong, so you've got to get your sunblock on. But whenever I come back, usually I come back pretty brown. Okay, this is a picture of me and my brothers a few years ago, looking a little bit younger there. And I remember when I came back from the holiday, and I, I walked into the office, and I saw my boss, and, and he said to me, have you changed ethnicity? You know, I mean, I, <laughs> I was that brown. I took it as a compliment. I hope he meant it as, as a compliment. But, you know, I, I spent time in, in the glorious Seychelles sun. And when I got back, I, I reflected something of the radiance in my face, having spent time in the sun. And, you know, the, the ministry of Moses came with glory because it was given from God to Moses. And the glory of God was reflected in Moses' face. Secondly, the ministry of Moses was glorious because it showed the people a need for a savior. It showed the people a need for a savior. Now, the law that, that God gave to his people revealed a very important attribute of God. It revealed his holiness. It revealed the holiness of God. And it showed them an awesome and utterly perfect God that deserved to be worshipped with reverence. And so God gave the, him, his people these commands to, to show them his perfect standards, to show them his holiness. The problem that the Israelites had, though, they had, they had a huge problem, is that they, they were unable to keep all of God's laws. They were unable to hit the mark. However hard they labored and tried, they couldn't do it. I imagine many of them perhaps 
may not have, uh, may not have ma- m- murdered anyone, but they probably would have st- struggled never to ever steal anything. A lot of them probably never committed adultery, but we know from reading the Bible that often they fell into idolatry. And the reason that this is a problem, folks, is because God had declared that failing to keep his law was sin, and that sin deserved a punishment. And that's why Paul says in verse 9 of our passage that this ministry brought condemnation. No matter how hard the Israelites tried, they labored and labored and labored. They were constantly condemned because they could not uphold the perfect standards of the law. They weren't able to do it. Now, some countries today observe the death penalty system uh, in, in their law. We, we don't hear it was abolished many, many years ago. Uh, you may have seen on the, recent, on the news recently uh, this case of the Bali Nine. These were nine foreign nationals who have recently been executed in Indonesia because they were tried and condemned and found guilty of, of drug trafficking um, a number of years ago. And they were, you know, they were found guilty and they were condemned under Indonesian law. And the penalty for that crime was the death sentence. It's, it's a controversial case. I won't, I, won't go into, I won't go into it now. But what I wanted us to see is that there was a condemnation and there was a penalty the condemnation. And in the time of Moses, under God's law, condemnation also led to a punishment. And God God declared that the just penalty for sin was death. However, that wasn't the end of the story. God introduced a system that would involve the Israelite people making animal sacrifices symbolically to pay for their sins, to atone for their sins. And these animal sacrifices usually involved a lamb or a goat being killed symbolically, for the sins of the person, the man or woman that sinned. And this was, this was because God's law made it clear that there had to be a blood sacrifice in order for someone to be forgiven. It was a, a serious matter. But these animal sacrifices, folks, they were only ever meant to be symbolic. You know, an animal couldn't genuinely atone for the sin of a person. Okay, th- these animal sacrifices were designed to point forward to someone who would come in the future and be the ultimate sacrifice. And it showed them that they needed a savior. They needed a substitute to deal with their sin. And so this, this, these animal sacrifices pointed forward to the, the, most, the greatest moment in history when God would do something wonderful, wonderfully glorious. He would send his own son. He would give his own son to save his people. And so you see, folks, although the law brought condemnation, although the law brought death, it was glorious. It was glorious because it showed the people a need for a savior. And it's not just the, the Israelite people that need a savior. You know, Phil was talking about it earlier when we, when we looked at the, the lost sheep. You know, we all, the Bible says we all like lost sheep have gone astray. We've all failed to hit the mark. We've all failed to keep God's laws. Whether we're Jewish or not, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so we all need a savior. We all need a savior to save us from our sin. Well, let's come back to the 2 Corinthians 3 text. Paul's been telling us, uh, telling the Corinthians that this ministry of Moses was glorious. We can't miss that. He's wanting to tell us that. Five times it was glorious. But he's, he's clearly also making a comparison okay, with the ministry of Moses and the ministry of the Spirit, which he says is more glorious. Okay, so he moves on. He says, this, this other thing, this is more glorious. It's supremely glorious. So this is my second main point. The ministry of the Spirit is supremely glorious. So what is the ministry of the Spirit then? 
what, what is he referring to then, and how is it more glorious than this ministry of Moses? Well, the ministry of the Spirit refers to the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, and how God's people can receive all of God's promises through faith in him. Remember Steve was speaking a few weeks ago about all of God's promises are yes in Jesus. And having said five times, Paul said five times that the, the ministry of Moses was glorious, now he gives five reasons why the ministry of the Spirit is more glorious. Let's have a look at them briefly together. Firstly, the ministry of the Spirit brings righteousness. Verse 9, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? As I said a moment ago, the Israelites were unable to keep God's law. Even the holiest of them would fall short. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life. He, lived a per he kept the law faithfully and completely. He was referred to as the Lamb of God. Sometimes we sing about him, don't we? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because he was the ultimate lamb. Every single lamb, every thousands of them, every single lamb that was sacrificed ultimately pointed forward to the ultimate lamb, the lamb of God, who would die as a substitute for the sin of mankind. And righteousness in this context simply means having a right standing with God. And it's a, it's a wonderful truth that as Christians, by trusting in Jesus' perfect life and his sacrificial death, we can, through faith, have a right standing with God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? What the Israelites had failed to do themselves under the law, Jesus accomplished himself. Secondly, the ministry of the Spirit brings permanence. Verse 11, and if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? For my honeymoon, I had the privilege of, of taking my wife Annie to Seychelles. We had a fantastic two weeks, one of the most beautiful places in the world. But you know, the glory of the holiday didn't, didn't last. You know, it, it was always going to be temporary. You know, it was always going to come to an end. And, and the ministry of Moses... It came with glory, but it was, it was always destined to be temporary. It was always destined to point to something that would be greater, point to something that would be permanent, something that would be eternal. And part of the wonderful good news of the gospel, folks, is that we can have an eternal relationship with God that goes beyond this earth, beyond this life. And in heaven, it will be better and more wonderful than going on the best holiday imaginable. And it will never come to an end. Eternal glory. Eternal glory is what we can look forward to by trusting Jesus. Thirdly, the ministry of the Spirit brings enlightenment, verse 14 to 16. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Now, the, the, the King James Version of the Bible translates the word dull in verse 14 as, as blinded. And I think that's probably a more helpful word to think of in, in this context. And Paul is going back to the picture of the veil that he was talking about initially that Moses wore. And he's explaining that uh, the Israelites, under the ministry of Moses, were, were blinded. They, they were blinded to see that the law ultimately pointed, pointed forward to the glory of Christ. And they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. It was as if there was a veil in front of their eyes, in front of their hearts, preventing them from seeing and responding to the good news about Jesus. And you know, folks, this is not just applying to the Israelites, although this is the immediate context here, but actually it applies to everyone who has, has yet to come to Christ. There is a veil 
God is saying, over their eyes and over their hearts. And only God, only, only Christ can remove that. And I felt very challenged when, when I was preparing this message because it reminded me how much, how much do we need to pray, you know? I mean, we can present the gospel in the most effective, faithful way that we can with, with real power. But, but actually, what, what this text is saying is that God has to remove a veil from people's eyes. And only, only God can do that. The Spirit of God has to do that in order for people to come to Christ. We need to be praying, don't we? Fourthly, the ministry of the Spirit brings freedom. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. One of my favorite films growing up as a teenager was the film Braveheart. I wonder if if you you guys have seen that. I can't believe it's 20 years ago now. 20 years ago now. And I I loved that film when I I first watched it. And it's about a guy called William Wallace, who's played by Mel Gibson. And he was, according to the film, a 13th century Scottish warrior who, who fought for Scottish independence under the occupation of King, King of England, King Edward. And at the end of the film, basically, Wallace is captured and he's, he's tried and found guilty of high treason against the King of England. Uh, and he's, yeah, he's, he's horribly tortured and, and then in the end beheaded. Not a very nice way to go. But just before he dies, he shouts out in a loud voice, Freedom! Has anyone ever imitated that? Or is it just, just me? I just really like doing that. Okay. Now, I'm not sure how factual the film is. I think it's probably a, there's probably a lot of fiction in the film, but according to the film anyway and, and the plot, wh- you know, when, when William Wallace died and all that he achieved in his life and in his death w- was mass- massively led to the, the freedom of the Scottish under the English, uh, according to the film anyway. And Jesus Christ, before he died on the cross, with his last breath, you know, he, he shouted out, It is finished. It is finished. And Jesus, in his life and in his death and his resurrection, he won a kind of freedom even more wonderful, even more powerful than any kind of physical captivity or slavery. Jesus won a freedom that would release the Israelites from sin and death and instead give them the power to live for God, to live for his glory in their everyday lives. And folks, again, you know, the wonderful news this morning is that that wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for the Israelites. For us as well. Jesus came for us. Jesus came for all that would receive him. And these wonderful freedoms we can know for ourselves if we will just turn to him. That freedom is available through faith in him by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So fifthly, and and finally, of these sub-points, the ministry of the Spirit brings transformation. Verse 18. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The, the English Standard Version of the Bible translates the word contemplate here as the word behold. Again, I think this is a, it's a really helpful term to think about as we, we look at this passage in its context. And folks, Paul is saying something profound here. He's saying something deep here. I really, I really want us to get this this morning. He's saying that, as Christians behold God's glory, as they gaze upon the nature of God, they themselves are being transformed into his glorious image. Isn't that an amazing thought this morning? 
the Holy Spirit does that in us, makes us look more like the glorious image of God as we gaze at him, as we behold him. So what verse 18 is telling us then is that the the glory that the, the Holy Spirit imparts to the Christian is more excellent than that which Moses himself experienced. That's that's mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing. It's an incredible thought, and it's not about necessarily a physical manifestation of glory. It's not about a, a change in the physical appearance, but our hearts. Do you remember at the beginning I, I read, God, God promised and prophesied that he would come a time when he would write his law on the people's hearts, not on stone, on our hearts. This is about our characters being transformed into his glorious image from within as the Spirit of God works in our lives. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is described as the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Therefore, folks, it's Jesus that we need to gaze at. We need to gaze at Jesus. To behold the Lord's glory, we gaze at Jesus. It's the truths about Jesus that we need to, to meditate on to feast on. It's, the, it's the, the gospel of Jesus that we need to keep coming back to again and again and again. It's Jesus we need to treasure and cherish and exalt and worship and gaze at above all else to see the glory of God and be transformed into his glorious image. It's beholding Jesus. In beholding Jesus, the Spirit of God will do this. And it says here, with ever increasing glory. Isn't that an incredible thought? Until one day, God is going to keep doing this work in us as we gaze at him and behold his glory. Until one day, we will actually be totally glorified. We will be in eternal glory. Our characters will be completely glorious. Our bodies, our resurrection bodies will be completely glorious. God will finish what he has started. Isn't that an amazing thought? I hope that excites you today. It excites me. Folks, as we come to an end, how should we respond to these truths? If you're here today and you've, you've not yet decided to trust Jesus, you're, you've not yet decided to follow him, can I urge you to do that? The wonderful news of the gospel is that Jesus came for all of us. He came for everyone. Jesus doesn't have, there, there are not some people that Jesus didn't come for, okay? He came for us all. Whatever we're like, Jews, non-Jews, Muslim, you know, anyone, Jesus came to die for, all that will trust him. And Jesus loves us. He loves you. And he can free you from whatever law you live for. You know, whether you're, you're Jewish or Muslim or, you know, even if you're just not religious, we all have a law, don't we, that we try and attain to. You know, we, we make our own laws and we think, well, actually, if I'm just this good, you know, if, I'm, if I have these morals, then, you know, I'm... I've reached a point where I'm happy with, but that can't save us. Actually, it enslaves us. It condemns us, just like the Israelites. Jesus can free us from that. He can free us. He can save us. He can remove the veil that is over our eyes if we're not trusting him and enable us to behold his glory. And if you're here today, folks, and you're a Christian, you're going for it, you're following the Lord, let me ask you, are you continuing to behold the glory of Jesus? Are you gazing at him, at him in, with, in all his majesty? Do you, do you yearn to, to spend time with God? Do you yearn to prioritize time with Jesus, to, to meditate on who he is, to pray, to spend time in his word, soaking up these truths about him? 
praying and praising him? Do you want to become more like him? Do you want to look more like God, more like the Lord Jesus? Do you want to be transformed more into his image and for his glory to be displayed more in your life? I know I do. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you know what? You're not in a great place. Perhaps you feel like you're unable to approach God at the moment. You used to, but you just feel like, ah, oh, I've blown it. I just, I'm very aware of my sin. Perhaps you see more of your sin than your saviour this morning, even though you're a Christian. Perhaps you're scared to keep coming to him because you think, oh, it just, it won't take me back. He'll, he'll turn me away. Well, if that's you, let me remind you of what the Apostle Paul says in verse 12 of our passage. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Folks, the ministry of the Spirit is more glorious than the ministry of Moses because it reveals to us a God of grace. A God of grace as well as a God of holiness. That's the good news of the gospel. And, and through Christ, this God of grace and holiness invites us to come into his presence with complete confidence and great boldness. Great boldness. With a certainty that we are his because what Jesus has finished by faith in him, we are his. Okay? Eternally secure, we're forgiven. No matter how many times we stuff things up, we're forgiven. We're saved by him, for him, to behold his glory in our lives and to enjoy his presence forever. Maybe you're here this morning and you, just, you need reminding of that. You, know, you need reminding that you have such a hope. Maybe you've forgotten. You know, maybe you've just you've taken your eyes off Christ and you need to gaze back at him and behold his glory. Friends, you have such a hope if you're trusting Jesus today. You can approach the throne of Almighty God with great boldness, great confidence, because you're his child. And you know, he's faithful to his promises. Sometimes we take our eyes off of God, but he never takes his eyes off us. And he will finish transforming us into his glorious image. That's his promise. We're going to have a time, of, uh, time to respond with, with, with prayer in a moment and you might want to come forward for, to pray for any of those things uh, wherever you are in your walk or you might want to pray to receive Jesus for the first time or you might want to recommit your life to him you might just need to be reminded that you have such a hope and you need to gaze back at his face this morning and behold his glory well let me leave you with this, this final illustration many of you here today will remember when you were in the old auditorium at Lee I, I hadn't arrived at Lee at that point I was still at Catford but before all this amazing building work went on, I imagine when you, when you first got here, there was a sense of glory, right? I mean, when you first worshipped together in this auditorium, didn't it feel great? Those of you that are here, I wasn't here. It must have felt great, right? It must have felt great. I mean, you, you had a, your own church building at Lee. That's exciting. New site. God's people meeting together, welcoming new people from the community. So many opportunities to do wonderful things as a family. It must have felt glorious. But look at the auditorium now. Okay, compare, compare the two and look around you. Okay? Look, at the, look at the wonder of it, the architecture, the space, the stage, the lights, the PA desk. The huge potential that this church has to reach the community. The old auditorium was glorious. It was glorious. But it pointed forward to a new thing, a greater auditorium that would come later on down the line and be even more glorious. And so it is with the ministry of Moses and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in verse 10, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory, and that's the glory of the gospel. Let's give thanks again today 
for the glory of the gospel and our glorious God. Amen.